Welcome to another episode of Sustainably Speaking. I'm your host, Joshua Baca. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of harnessing the power of the private sector to solve for waste. But before we dive in, let me take a second to set the stage. Currently, there is tremendous desire for recycled material and plastic products and packaging that can't be met with existing recycling infrastructure and technologies. With that said, we have the opportunity to recover more plastic, but how? That's where stakeholders like Dow and Closed Loop Partners come in. These two entities are leading the charge to spur investment in recycling infrastructure and technology. The use of capital to affect systematic change not only increases the amount of recycled plastic available for reuse, but also supports brand sustainability commitments and creates a world where plastics are more often reused rather than ending up as waste. So let's not waste another second and welcome Julie Zanuski, North America Sustainability Director at Dow and Bridget Croak, Managing Director of Closed Loop Partners to the Conversation. Bridget and Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Sustainably Speaking podcast today. Why don't we help our listeners understand both what Closed Loop Partners is and why the work you folks are doing in the sustainability space matters. Bridget, want to kick us off? Sure. Thanks, Joshua, and, and great to be here. As you mentioned, I'm Bridget Croak. I'm a managing director at Closed Loop Partners. We are an investment and innovation firm working to accelerate a more circular economy where we reduce the need for raw materials coming out of the ground and increase the use of waste at the end of life. We have funds that are investing in early stage technologies and business models that accelerate the circular economy. We have funds that are investing in infrastructure to make sure that the products and packaging that our people use every day are getting recycled in as easy a way as possible and that it's very accessible. And we are investing in system solutions to identify innovation gaps that will help solve some of the challenges for companies, brands that have packaging problems that are not easily solved today. Julie, as North America's Sustainability Director for Dow Packaging, tell us a little bit about the role that Dow plays in sustainability overall. Well, like you said, I'm the Sustainability Director for Dow's Packaging and Specialty Plastics business in North America. So what does that really mean? I'm responsible for steering collaboration across the packaging industry, driving for more sustainable solutions and circular economy of plastics, and also improving the materials management infrastructure, the waste infrastructure systems for plastics. And that is one of the reasons that we came to the table. And we collaborate with folks like Bridget and her team in driving these new innovative solutions like the Circular Plastics Fund. That's great. And with every guest we've had on the Sustainably Speaking podcast, we've opened up with an overarching question. What is sustainability and what does it mean to you? Julie, maybe you can build off that and give us some insight about what that means. Sure. So when I think of sustainability, I think of self-sustaining balance or self-sustained balance within society. So, and as we talk about plastics and I'll say packaging materials in general, it's about sensible and responsible and economic solutions, really balancing all of those aspects in order to have those more sustainable solutions come to life for the long term. And it's not always apparent, right? It's not always obvious that it's the most sensible, that it's the most responsible, or that it's the most economic. But 
those are those pieces that need to adjust. They'll evolve, they'll shift in order to achieve that balance. And that's what I think we're seeing a lot of happening here in the circular economy space is identifying what those levers are that need to adjust and change as we evolve to the next generation. And Bridget, what is sustainability and what is the role of a circular economy in sustainability? Julie's answer is really great. And I would add that we're looking to create balance in both human and natural systems and create optimal outcomes for those in both the short and long term. So really, we're looking at environmental well-being, human health and economic well-being as well, so that all of these things work together, because if something is the best environmental choice, but it doesn't work economically, it's just not going to have a high likelihood of scaling in the economy that we have today. And so the circular economy is really taking an economic look at building sustainability into the system across material supply chains. So the way that we look at it is we're spending billions of dollars to extract material out of the ground, turn it into something, utilize it once, and then throw that valuable material into a landfill or an incinerator. And so it's a highly inefficient system that has been scaled. And so the economics work today, but we're wasting a lot of economic potential, I would say, and creating negative environmental outcomes at the same time. And so what we're trying to do is build a circular economy where we extend the shelf life or reuse things as many times as possible. And then at the end of that life, we turn that material into the feedstock that becomes the inputs for future manufacturing such that we don't need to extract as many raw materials out of the ground. So are you saying that developing a sustainable and circular economy is both good for business and good for the environment? Optimally, yes, right? So of course, it's going to be case by case. And we have to look at the big picture to make sure we're not assuming that that's always true. But that is the intention. And that is what we see kind of the optimal situation, both economically and environmentally. So the reason we asked both of you to join us on the podcast today is because of the leadership by Dow, Nova Chemicals, and Lion Dalbacell to establish a circular plastics fund with closed-loop partners. This fund will help scale plastics recycling. The goal is to build the fund up to $100 million focused on access, optimization, and manufacturing. Julie, can you walk our listeners through why Dow, Nova Chemicals, and Lyondale Bissell came together to develop a circular plastics fund? And specifically, what are you all trying to accomplish through this work with closed-loop partners? Well, it was a quick identification of a need. Investment in this space for these materials to accelerate solutions that we're seeing happening on the ground. There's a tremendous amount of energy and resources and investment going into technologies, into R&D within Dow, but also outside of Dow with partners throughout the industry. What we see is that there are a number of different activities, but there aren't always those platforms that allow those solutions, those initiatives to scale. And that's what this fund can do. And one of the reasons that we focus specifically on 
polyethylene, polypropylene, as well as flexibles, is that those materials don't always get the direct investments that, say, other materials for recycling do. However, they are very valuable, and there are a number of different technologies that are developing and scaling in order to optimize those resources. And this was intentional to focus on those pilots, those initiatives, and different technologies that are out there and they're developing and give them the acceleration and the scale that they need. So, Julie, you mentioned a couple of words that our listeners might not understand. What is polyethylene and polypropylene and why are you focusing on these two materials? Well, they're very well utilized and very useful plastic materials that probably everywhere you turn, you are utilizing it in some way. They're also very recyclable. In particular, if you look at polyethylene, we refer to as PE or even number two. Those can be your milk jugs. Those can also be your flexible pouches that your granola comes in. Those are materials that, again, they're in our everyday life products, our everyday lives. And those are the types of items that we want to ensure that consumers are able to easily recycle and that they also create value for those who are recycling them. So we're talking about the communities, the MRFs, material recycling facilities, the haulers, as well as the recyclers to ensure that those materials are higher quality when they're coming in and that the technologies are available to them to ensure that those materials can have a life over and over again. And Bridget, the fund was established as a goal of trying to generate $100 million investment. We've had several companies like Dow and Nova and Lyondale Invest. We've also had some new additions. So maybe you could help our listeners understand how does the fund actually work and what are you specifically aiming to solve by creating this fund? We launched our first investment fund about seven years ago as what we call a catalytic fund, which means that we are trying to catalyze traditional capital, which might be investment banks, traditional banks, other kind of financial institutions to invest more in recycling infrastructure. I'm sure we've all heard a lot about the infrastructure bill, which would invest in a whole range of infrastructure in North America, while recycling is kind of a utility or a piece of everyday life that is important to invest in modernizing to make sure that we can recycle all of the household goods that we have out there today. And these particular investment vehicles are below market rate debt. So we loan capital to a recycling facility, a municipality, or someone else that is building infrastructure. So that thing that they have, whether it's equipment or something that they build, is something that helps reduce the risk for our investors to make sure we'll get paid back. And our goal is to get the principal. So just much like you have principal in your kind of personal investments, you hope to get that principal back, plus some interest on that. Our infrastructure funds are catalytic, so they are typically below market rate because these are immature markets that we're trying to build up so that we can bring more traditional capital to really scale the infrastructure that we need. And in particular, these materials that Julie was speaking about are much less mature in the recycling market than, say, 
uh, a PET water bottle or paper. Like those materials have been recycled for years. And while these materials are as valuable and there's lots of it out there, they just haven't been recycled for as long. And so we really need to build up the systems to make sure that the economics work around that. And that's why we're taking this investment approach. Also, we want to prove that this has business value, that there's material with value at the end of the day. This is not a philanthropic endeavor. We're building systems that are going to improve the economics of material supply chains. And that's why it's really important to prove the business model around that and scale up an economically viable system that has business value. And so these companies are coming in because ultimately, if they're making their own investments around the future of their own circular business models, at the time that that material leaves their four walls, they no longer have control over that. So this is a system issue and really companies and government and others need to come together to make sure that we have the capital needed to build the system that will return that to the supply chain. Julie, Bridget talks a little bit there about business value. What business value does Dow get out of the establishment of a fund like this? We have a tremendous amount of R&D like I had said before, we've developed significant initiatives where we're developing new technologies for sorting. We are ensuring that those materials are designed for recyclability. So ensuring that all of those links come together provides huge value for us. It brings, again, the most sensible, responsible, and economic solution to the table and ensures that it has another life that we step away from that linear approach, the make, waste, dispose, and moves towards that more circular economy for plastics, but also for other materials. So Bridget mentioned some of the other materials that have been recycled for years. Bringing these materials along with those highly recycled materials also provides a benefit for communities, for society. So we have less material going to landfill. We are utilizing our resources to their optimal level. It's ensuring that there's a transformative step in the infrastructure that creates a self-sustaining system. Really, it goes, again, back to that sustainability is that balance, a self-sustained balance across the ecosystem. So the fund has established a goal of recycling 500 million pounds of plastic through access, optimization, and manufacturing. Can both of you dive into a little greater detail of the three areas and how you hope to grow and expand each one of those to achieve this goal? There's no one thing that's going to fix the system. We need to solve upstream and downstream from kind of material design all the way through recovery. And there's lots of things that need to be solved along that value chain. And so it's up to the companies upstream all the way through the brands to make sure that the packaging products and materials that they're creating are designed in such a way that they're going to have value. And then you need to have society and, and municipalities, states, and other government institutions who manage the waste and disposal and recycling systems optimize that part of the system. And so that's the backdrop of this. Now, within the fund, we're anticipating that the companies that are coming into this are looking upstream and thinking about the design of those materials that they're creating. And then in this fund, we're looking at the point of recovery. So starting with 
do people have access to recycle these emerging materials that are coming into the recycling stream, primarily polyethylene and polypropylene? We're looking both at rigid, which is already in many community recycling programs, and flexible packaging, which historically hasn't been as commonly recycled in a curbside recycling bin. So we're hoping to modernize that system and make sure that packaging and products that have value can actually get through that system in an economically viable way. So access really means, can somebody take these materials that we're focused on, put them in their recycling bin along with their other recycling materials? And then will that get collected by a recycling hauler, which could be a municipality or it could be a private recycling hauler, depending on the community that you live in and making sure that system works as well as possible. And then once that is brought to what we call, and Julie mentioned this, a MRF, which is a material recovery facility that if you're not familiar with what that is, you can picture like a giant Rube Goldberg machine that has magnets and lasers and all kinds of things that are both mechanically and through human labor separating each of these materials out into their commodity group. So the polyethylene will be sorted into its own bales. The polypropylene will be sorted into its own bales. The metals will be sorted out and the paper will be sorted out. And then those will be sent off to their respective markets where they will be turned into the feedstock to become something in another life again and, and useful again. And so each of those steps needs modernization so that the economics of getting that material through the system works. And so we're investing in both innovation and technology, but also just the straight infrastructure so that it's available and that people can recycle those materials along with their other household products. Julie, anything you'd like to add there? Well, Bridget did a very good job of moving through the system. But I'll try to add just a little bit. Uh, you know, when we talk about access and optimization and manufacturing, on the access side, there has been quite a bit of work done in this space, but we need acceleration and we need scale. I mean, even on the Dow side, we've done work around, again, designing for recyclability, but also different collection models. And there are several groups out there that are working collectively to create more access for Americans. But it's really making sure that these materials are collected, that those facilities have the means to do that, that they're enabled to do that, whether it's an equipment piece or providing a different model. We are involved in the Hefty Energy Bag program, which is another collection model. Materials can be placed in those bags and then put in a recycling bin. They make it to the MRF, and then those are pulled and then sent to an end market. That's one version of this. There are also other technologies, other models that are in this space that need that investment and acceleration and scale. So that's just one example. Also in the optimization space, there is an element of needing more higher quality materials coming out of facilities. So optimizing sortation technologies, there's the Materials Recovery for the Future Project, another pilot that was uh, highly successful. How do we scale versions of that that make sense for the communities, for society, as well as those particular locations? And then on the manufacturing side, it's demand. Right. So we, you have a number of these companies who are buying this material and they're producing a post-consumer recycled resin from it. That's hungry for technology, for higher quality 
materials coming out of those systems. It's new equipment. There are a number of different innovations that can be accounted for in this space. And the purpose of the fund is really to focus on those three areas and be able to catalyze investment in that space. Hi, during this short break, I want to encourage you to visit americasplasticmakers.org and download our new policy vision for accelerating a circular economy for plastics. Leaders from across our industry are united to propose a federal path forward that will help move our nation towards a more sustainable future. Now back to the show. Hundreds of brands have made commitments to use post-consumer recycled content and recycled material in their packaging products. What role does technology play in helping achieve those commitments? Again, like I said before, there's no one thing that is going to solve this. We need technology to make sure that we can collect high quality, clean material that can get back into uses that might touch a human's skin or go in their body. And that's a challenge. Sometimes when something is recycled, it gets downgraded in such a way that it won't meet the FDA's standard for going on or in the human body. And so we need to make sure that we have the technology available to economically process this material back into something that is high value and can get back into packaging that is in contact with the human body in some way. And so there's some technology needs there. Technology can improve efficiency and reduce costs, absolutely. But I will also say that some of the things that Julie mentioned around the system and the demand side, there is a lot of demand through commitments that brands have made. And there's a lot of challenges in terms of how brands are procuring that material today to make sure that they can actually get access to it. So there's just a mismatch of supply and demand today. And so there are a lot of things we need to solve. We need to invest in the infrastructure. We need new technology and we need companies to look at the way they contract for material so that they can sure up the system and turn that theoretical demand into real demand. And I'll say that this is a space where we as society haven't really focused on for many years. I think it makes it ripe for innovation. And we're seeing that, right? We're seeing the innovation. We're seeing the technologies develop. There's white space here, but it's about linking those different steps and linking the value chain in the right places in the right order to Bridget's point. And Julie, maybe a two-part question for you. How is Dow helping brands and other companies meet those commitments? And what is your message to skeptics and detractors who say, we're just trying to recycle our way out of this and maybe we should just ban plastics altogether? Plastics we see are, in many cases, the lowest footprint option and lowest impact option. And in order to ensure that there are still the sensible option, the responsible option, these are the kinds of steps we need to take. Dow made some significant commitments around sustainability, in particular, stopping the waste and closing the loop, which means we plan to ensure that a million metric tons of plastic are recycled and reused by 2030, as well as close the loop, which is ensuring that 100% of the products that we produce and sell into packaging are recyclable or reusable. And that's a pretty significant commitment. We are targeting both the supply and demand 
areas. Bridget, maybe we could bring it up a little bit higher level. You talk about the importance of collaborating across the value chain. How important is collaboration overall to building a more sustainable and circular economy for all material? There is no one answer to this system challenge. It's a system challenge. It requires a system solution. And I think we're at this really interesting point where the imperatives of business around plastics and circular economy and material movement in general is highly aligned with policymakers. So we're kind of in this interesting, I'd say, three to four years where we have a lot of opportunity to come together and align goals so that we're all working in the same direction. So I guess my call to action for companies and policymakers is that this is our moment and let's not screw this up because folks are going to look at us five, 10 years from now and say, all of the ingredients were there. How did they not figure that out? Like I said before, if companies can control what's in their four walls and their business models, then once they move that material out of their four walls, then it goes to the retailer, it goes to consumers and into a municipal system and back to other companies who are turning that material into value. If there's not a connection point across that whole system, then companies lose absolute control over some of these goals that they're trying to achieve. So, there's just no way to achieve these goals without significant collaboration. And again, we're in this really amazing time where that's actually plausible. And if you think about the companies that were the biggest, kind of most powerful companies, 50, even 30, maybe even 20 years ago, they're different companies than exist today. So companies are going to have to really go outside of their comfort zone and think about who they want to be 10 to 20 years from now if they want to continue to be some of the biggest companies in the world. And that's going to mean changing their business models. It's going to mean working with civil society to make sure that they're providing value and gaining value back. And what message would you have for lawmakers who are skeptical maybe of recycling overall and said this has been tried before? What is different this time? It's fair, right? Like we've been working on this for a long time and we haven't punched through the recycling rate that we have today. So first of all, I'm super empathetic to folks that are out there and are like, we want to solve this problem. And let's be clear, this is a time bound problem. We don't have an endless amount of time to solve this. And again, we're in kind of this amazing period where we can solve it. So I think strong policy is really critical. And I think that thinking upstream and some of the solutions that policymakers are looking at in terms of incentivizing reuse and refill and life extension and reductions is really important. But ultimately, you might have the best refill model out there that is economically viable, and there's still going to be attrition of material. So you are going to have to solve for material that's getting through the system. Even if we can reduce that to an optimal amount, we still need to have the systems to keep that out of landfill and incineration. And so there will always be a need to both make sure that there's no waste at the end of the system, but there's also a need for feedstock for new materials. And if we don't want that to be raw natural resources, we need to have a system to be able to reutilize those previous products and packaging into feedstock for current materials. So I would say, let's think of all of the things that we need to do. And recycling is one very critical piece of that. So let's bring this home, Julie and Bridget. How can other companies get involved in helping grow and make the circular plastics funds more successful? 
Patel, we know that we're not the only ones who can bring the solutions to the table. Our peers also know this. Brands know this. We all are looking for the solutions that are the responsible ones, the sensible ones, but also the economic ones. So ensuring that all those folks who are looking for those solutions to be accelerated and scaled come to the table. Well, we're so fortunate to have three companies who are willing to go out front and put themselves on the line a little bit. Dow, Nova Chemical, and Lionel Bissell, who are willing to work together to bring significant dollars to the table to invest in infrastructure in North America. And we have other companies in our other funds. Most of the major Fortune 100 brands are investing through other closed-loop funds. So we have additional capital that will be co-investing with this. So there's a lot of money on the table, but this is no small problem. And if we're going to focus in on making sure that companies that are making or utilizing polyethylene or polypropylene have a license to operate and are able to use those materials five and 10 years from now. And they are good materials, but they need to be recovered. So if we want those business models to succeed, we need them to join the party here and invest because there is a real return. We've been fortunate also to have Sealed Air and SK Group join, and, and we're in conversations with many others. So we encourage resin companies, companies across the plastic supply chain, and brands to reach out to us at Close of Partners. Feel free to reach out to Julia Dow or any of the companies that are at the table today. They're all happy to have conversations. Our intention is to be very bullish and aggressive in making investments quickly, as we have with other, other funds. We have seven years of track record of making investments in North America and in infrastructure and technology. So please reach out to Close the Partners. Joshua, feel free to share my contact information. We want this to be a very large group of companies who are committed to this. And then we're going to get down and dirty and just work on making the best investments possible to make the system work. That's great. And with that, I want to thank both of you for being on the podcast today. Most importantly, on a personal note, Bridget and Julie, you both have been fantastic leaders in this space, great counselors and mentors to much of the work that I do, and most importantly, leading on these issues. I'm really struck by a couple of the things you all said, the need for collaborating and really kind of bringing the best of everyone together to solve some big problems. I commend you both for leading in that effort, and I commend you for advancing these solutions. So thank you so much for taking some time today. And and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Joshua. Thanks, Joshua. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainably Speaking. And a huge thank you to Julie and Bridget for such an enlightening conversation. Please take a moment and leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to spread the word about the Sustainably Speaking podcast with your friends or colleagues. We will be back in your podcast feed with a new episode in two weeks. Until then, I look forward to sustainably speaking again soon. Sustainably speaking.